everybody, and welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. This is Jim Marty reporting from sunny and warm Longmont, Colorado. And I've got my partner up in Chicagoland, Larry Michigan. How you doing, Larry? Jim, doing just fine. Always great to hear from you. Another episode of the show. Uh, another week has gone by. Uh, it's warm and uh, humid here in Chicago, which is just about right for this time of year. And, um, you know, at least we can count on that, if nothing else. So, uh, we're hanging in there. We still don't have any announcements on licenses. Uh, it's starting to get unpleasant for people. Uh, there was an article uh, over the weekend uh, about KPMG being the uh, outfit that uh, the state contracted with to do the uh, scoring and the evaluation of the applications for both the dispensaries and the uh, cultivation side. And through a combination of bad luck and, and fate, primarily being that their contracts require them to actually pick up the materials, the applications by hand directly at the office of either the Department of Agriculture or professional re, uh, regulations, depending on which license it is. And KPMG since March has had a travel lockdown because of the virus. So they haven't been able to travel to Chicago or to Illinois to get the paperwork. Now, the article pointed out that KPMG does have an office in Chicago. And so there was a big question raised as to why they hadn't just gone and gotten the material. But KPMG has been paid over $7 million, according to this article. And we don't have any answers yet. We don't have any proposed dates. Uh, I hate to say that it sounds very Illinois. It was a no bid contract. But, you know, it is what it is. And I'm not saying by any means that anybody's doing anything wrong. I'm just saying that it's very, very frustrating the way it's going down uh, and that, you know, there's more of a premium on these guys getting paid than there is on finding out to come up with a way to get these applications scored so that all these people who have invested so much time and money, you know, can find out whether they're going to get to do this. And so we can stop negotiating with landlords for yet another month's contingency while we wait to hear from the state as to whether or not we're going to get a license. So um, we're starting to get a little bit frustrated on this end. Uh, but, you know, we continue to uh, sit in good faith. Governor Pritzker up to this point has been a friend of the industry and he's really helped move things forward. So we are hopeful uh, that he will do so here as well. Um, other than that, Jim, everything is just crazy. I'm getting phone calls all the time from people who want to come in and talk about dispensary licenses. And I tell them, you know, the window has closed. The next window is until 2021. Well, is it too early to get started for that? And it, it's it's just the, the way it's driving traffic in is amazing. I don't know if you've been seeing this, but you know, people who were not in the first round are almost more excited to get started in the second round in terms of really wanting to get in early and really get moving right away. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I know something about KPMG since I'm a CPA as well and they're in my world and i don't believe they accept any cannabis clients so maybe that's why they got selected because there'd be no conflicts of interest 
Well, that's interesting. That could be. And okay. I'm quite sure they drug test their employees. So anyway, very interesting choice uh, to, to score the uh, yes. things. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, we just received a bunch of clients from another large CPA firm who was elected not to uh, be in the cannabis industry anymore. And really the issue is if a large CPA firm is auditing publicly traded companies, then it ver becomes very difficult to handle cannabis where it's still federally illegal. So that's that. a big issue for the big CPA firms sure. and why they can't accept cannabis clients. But it works sense. out well for companies like mine, Bridge West, that uh, we're only too happy to take their um, cannabis clients that they're uh, shedding. So, um, well, all sure. that is um, very interesting. Uh, we'll talk some music here towards the end of the show. Uh, yep. But right now we have a, a guest that we want to move up to the uh, front of the queue here. So, Larry, please introduce our guest. Yes, uh, Jim, we are very lucky to ha have on the show with us today Michael Peters. Michael, uh, in short, is an insurance guy. I will let him uh, take that and run with it in a minute here. But he has uh, started a company called Full Spectrum Insurance. And as the name might imply, it is a uh, um, an insurance agency that he has set up uh, with the specific purpose of serving the cannabis industry. Uh, I'll let Michael tell you a little more about his background, but uh, much like, you know, we say at the Hoban Law Firm that we're attorneys first and then cannabis attorneys second, uh, Michael is a, uh, an insurance guy first who has uh, experience with complex, complex risk situations, which is certainly the type of issues we're facing in the cannabis industry today. And um, I'll let him tell more about it. Uh, Michael, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, Larry and Jim, thanks so much for having me. It's it's obviously a, a beautiful Tuesday here in the Midwest, and I can't believe that I'm on a, a show that is uh, dealing with insurance and the Grateful Dead. It's just, uh, uh -huh. it's a dream come true and something that I could not have imagined happen, you know, having the opportunity to do here at any point in my career, candidly. So this is wonderful. Well, Michael... I'll tell you, uh, Jim and I say that every week, you know, seriously, somebody wants us to be on the air for 30 minutes talking about marijuana and the Grateful Dead. OK, you know, we can do it if we have to. So, yes, it's a common feeling. It's 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 a wonderful life and a great place to be. Tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to full spectrum insurance. Yeah, great question. So I, I grew up uh you know how I'll kind of take the long road, I guess. I grew up in a in a very music oriented household that was uh, that was always focused on uh, on the community, on family, on everything else. So grew up with that in my veins, and then obviously fell in with a number of of different friends and whatnot that uh, that happened to be very strong advocates of the cannabis industry. Um, and myself being you know big into the Grateful Dead, and and obviously into uh, you know, into some of the other uh, advocacy programs out there, I, I naturally looked at this for a place where I could step out and do my, you know, create my own venture, do my own thing. Because in insurance, so often we're templated as, you know, the agent guy over at, you know, you name the national firm or, you know, yeah, he does your home boat and auto. And for once, you know, with, with the background that I have, I was in a spot where I could take the, the understanding of complex insurance mechanisms that I have from my years at um, you know, different companies and apply that to um, the very young cannabis insurance market, which is literally changing on a weekly basis, depending on, um, you know, anticipated underwriting profitability. But you also look at uh, challenges that have faced us like COVID, where we're not exactly sure where losses are, or if losses are going to pay out. 
So I, after eight years in corporate, I decided that it was time to, you know, to to plant my flag, and I wanted to do it in an industry that I actually believed in. Um, before this, I spent a lot of time in professional liability, which is just a nice way of saying malpractice. Um, <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> you unfortunately realize how litigious the market is and our society is as a whole. And this, to me, felt like a way to keep people safe who were who were pushing down a road that was both medically and recreationally um, something that needs to happen, candidly. I mean, there's so many people who benefit from this. I know personally, um, you know, us being located in Indiana, unfortunately, we don't have the full cannabis legalization, um, but we do have CBD and hemp. And for a lot of people who suffer with um for a lot of people who suffer with for anxiety or addiction recovery or anything else, um, this has been a great therapeutic tool and one that we have to continue to expand upon. Um, and as we continue to lead the fight in Indiana um, and the Midwest, you know, our, our goal is to just to, con- to see continued acceptance nationwide to realize how beneficial uh, this plan is. So full spectrum insurance was set up to to be an advocate for the industry in a lot of ways um, by being able to uh, both converse with the carrier side because our our executive team comes from um, executive position at the carrier side, um, but also understanding how to advocate for for our clients. So very excited to have the opportunity to have bootstrapped an agency that is based on cannabis and has brought me to your show. I just can't believe it. Very nice. Very nice. Um, Prior to full spectrum, did you have experience servicing the cannabis industry through the insurance uh, industry? No, not at all. This is this really new endeavor for me from a, I guess, from a niche insurance focus standpoint, right? I was very much involved in in medical, actually. That was my background. Um, so you're dealing with uh, with high dollar losses. You're dealing with um, needing to implement very strong risk management programs, um, understanding what sort of triggers are going to be applied to claim situations. And I truly anticipate that we're going to have the same scenarios arise in cannabis. Um, now, the nice thing is, is that we incorporated back in July of 2019. So this isn't a brand new jump. We just crossed over a year, which we feel is a big milestone. Um, and what's been wonderful about having that year has been that we had time to sit down, understand the markets, meet the different carriers, meet the underwriters, um, and get a good feel for for what you know what the desirable balance is between insurer needs and you know the carrier side, which is still trying to understand and get credibility as it relates to these risks. So we're confident that you know as full spectrum, we're going to be able to kind of bridge the gap between the two and provide you know robust, comprehensive coverage solutions, which is our goal. And the nice thing about the cannabis industry is our ability to get so creative on coverage forms. Um, most of the market is still non-admitted, which means that we get to go and have direct conversations with the carrier and say, hey, we need we need these five things. Can you meet that or can you not? Um, and so that's where, you know, taking that previous experience, having worked with carriers, associations and all that, and being able to apply it as an advocate for our insureds has just been so beneficial. So very excited to be in this industry. Um, you know, it's not that old, which meant that with a lot of 80, 90 hour weeks, we we're able to, to catch up on our knowledge side. And now we feel pretty comfortable uh, helping our clients through the, uh, the quagmire that exists. So, um, yeah, very good. Now, cannabis is prone to um, a lot of problems uh, during the cultivation process. You can have powdery mildew, you can have mold, uh, you can have spider mites, you can lose an entire room on indoor. And then outdoor, you you know, in hemp, 
especially because a lot of, most hemp is grown outdoors, you can have issues with hail. We just had a big hail storm here in Colorado Springs last week. Um, how does your company address uh, crop insurance? Yeah, good question. And, and candidly, two totally separate answers, right? Because when you're dealing with an indoor, you're dealing with a much more controlled climate. And then that sort of a capacity, assuming that you have a good grower um, who truly understands, you know, the different outcomes that can result from different uh uh, from different uh, growing aids, um, you know, you can really get a desirable outcome. I also think that as it relates to the crops, um, you know, one of the biggest things that they have in place is, is the testing measures. Everything has to be tested so succinctly that you're going to identify problems right off the bat with the indoor grows. Um, as it relates to outdoor crop damage, that is a major concern for us. We're, we're here in the hail belt. We get it all the time. Uh, last night we had a storm come through and I'm surprised we didn't see, you know, a three quarter inch hail with it. Um, but with that being said, there are products that are, are specifically outdoor. These are outdoor hemp crop products that are specifically tailored to hail. So it's called hail crop. Um, they charge you a certain amount of premium. Usually it's eight to 12% of your anticipated grow revenue. Um, and then all that premiums do up front. But what's nice is that if you have a loss, they're going to pay you pretty quickly because a lot of these programs are built on what's called uh, parametric uh, par or the parametric programs, meaning that they're using um, they're using grow or excuse me, uh, precipitation data, um, you know, from the National Weather Service, et cetera, to understand what the anticipated amount of rain or hail is. And then if a year is, uh, you know, more or less than the mean, then they can make payouts dependent on that. So there are some really, really new products out there. And what's cool about that is that you don't have to have a risk manager come out on site to assess the damage, right? They're just going to look at the weather pattern, look at how much, you know, rain or hail occurred, and then pay out based on that. Um, the hesitation, I think, for a lot of farmers to go down that road in the hemp world um, has been that 8 to 12% of premium up front, right? I mean, that's just been, that's, it's a lot to stomach. And it, at the end of this growth season, if you have nothing wrong, you're going to look at your profit and say, wow, I think I'm 8 to 12% short, right? So it's it's a tough sell, but at the same time, for anybody who's thinking that they're going to run into issues with, with hail, I strongly recommend it for hemp farmers. For the indoor grows, you've just got to re be very careful when it relates to, uh, or as it relates to, uh, to measurements, to testing. Um, you have to be pedantic. That's It's not an easy crop to grow well. Yes, it is. And I agree with what you're saying um, where I do the books and look at the expenses. You know, the decision is, do I self-insure mm -hmm. or do I cough up that 10 or 12% premium? Yeah. And, you know, in those situations, I think that, you know, again, our, our job is to advocate for, for our clients, right? And if you're in a situation where you have plenty of cash and you feel comfortable with the risk, okay, maybe you go with that, but then you decide, you know what, we're going to be doing a ton of online sales. Let's say this is hemp. We need to beef up our server um, or say that you're going to be, uh, you're going to be storing significant inventory on site. Uh, Mike, we'd like to actually go ahead and take a look at our crime policy to make sure that we're adequately covered across the board for all these types of perils, right? So I think that even if you decide, you know what, I want to self-insure the crop, there are other areas where you can really beef up your insurance where you would see tremendous payback on that. What do you guys able to write insurance in every state that has a program? Great question. So where we're writing right now is, is obviously dependent on state law. So um, where there are hemp and cannabis programs, we're, we're active. Uh, we are actively expanding our licensing nationwide. So we're in the process of doing that. 
Um, but as everyone's probably well aware um, in this market, licensing is no joke. And it's the same thing for insurance individuals. Um, you know, personally, I'm licensed in surplus lines, uh, which means I, you know, I studied, I took the tests, I did all that. Um, and I've also gone out and, you know, obtained my chartered, uh, you know, professional underwriting and uh, my RPA. So CPCU and RPLU are very extensive underwriting programs that you can go through. Um, and by doing all that, it gives you access to to licensing. And so for us, we've been able to expand both our ENS licensing, excess and surplus, as well as our traditional. Um, right now, we're in all the Midwest states. We're in the West uh, coast markets, and then we're starting to expand into the Northeast. So we anticipate that within the next six months, we'll be licensed nationwide. Wow, that's amazing. Now, let me ask you this, kind of a two-part question. What, it's such a relatively brand new industry still, are, are you seeing what you would consider to be a normal number of claims being made? And as claims come in, how are insurers in terms of processing claims on insurance contracts? Are they, you know, generally handling them okay? Is there some pushback because it is cannabis related? You know, we could be we could be really lucky and avoid You know, maybe we avoided all adverse selection, um, but we have we've been lucky enough not to experience many claims at this point. So, what most of our you know understanding of the claims process is anecdotal, right? You get your policy, you look at the risk management materials, you look at where to go for a claim. Obviously, the claims handling is then handled by the insurance company, not the agency. But we're there to assist our client to make sure that they they do all the proper documentation, right? A lot of times you have to provide written notice within a certain number of days of loss. You have to take different loss uh, or loss mitigation strategies to make sure that you're stopping the damage so that you're not incurring more and more loss. Um, so we'll help with those processes right there. Now, what we've heard is that you know some of the bigger risks, obviously the fire out west, there are concerns about that because of some of the forest fires that go through. Um, but then, I mean, everybody heard about it, you know, just this vape, <laughs> the vape crisis, I guess, as I'll, I'll, I'll coin it. And I'm sure you guys have talked about this uh, you know, <laughs> enough to make you nauseous. Um, but I mean, that had that actually had a pretty negative impact on insurers and reinsurers desirability to write um, to, to write different uh, parts of cannabis coverage. So um I think what we've seen is is a limitation so that insurers aren't having to deal with some of the bigger headaches. But at the same time, from what I've heard, when there are losses, carriers have been responsive. And I think a good way to look at that um, and understand what you're going to be getting into, there's a number of carriers. Some of them have been, you know, are A++ rated, owned by, you know, let's say Berkeley. You know, I mean, it's not, you're not dealing with mom and pop small insurers and most have reinsurance. So I would anticipate to maintain their credibility within the industry that they will handle those claims um, to the best of their ability. Um, but I do know that there have been, and maybe you could speak to this, Larry, a little bit, there have been some uh, some conflicts with policies being written and then uh, concerns on the carrier side when they go, oh no, can we actually even pay this out? So we've seen, <laughs> that's been, yeah. I think that's candidly the bigger fear. I think on a day-to-day, -day, you know, claims handling, okay, you know, with minor losses. Now, if we saw a catastrophic loss in this industry, I, I, it'd be interesting. It'd be really interesting. I'm not sure. I think the carriers would have to pay it in good faith, but at the same time, um, we might see protracted, uh, <laughs> there might be a long legal battle associated with it. Right. Well, well we've seen that here in Colorado, basically, um, the insurance companies got real tired of paying for roofs. So essentially the deductibles are so high that roofs are no longer covered for hail damage. So when you do have a catastrophic loss, the insurance companies just don't take it on the chin. 
Yeah, I mean, they say, you know, don't just stand there dreaming, get out the pants. <laughs> no, that's true. You know, it's uh, it's all very interesting to see where it's going right now. And, you know, as we were talking right before we started, Michael, and, you know, as Jim and I talk about all the time, you know, we think about how amazing it is that here we are, you know, even just having a serious business discussion about something that involves cannabis and marijuana and where we've come as a society that we can have this conversation. Um, and what I think a lot of people don't understand and don't realize is that for folks like us, for accountants, for lawyers, for insurance people, um, we're the ones that everyone comes to for protection in their day to day life anyway. So in this industry, they come running to us. And a lot of times they want answers that we just can't give them because it's all so brand new. We, we just don't know. What do they have in terms of underwriting history for this industry? I mean, is, is there an underwriting history? Not enough to be credible, in my opinion, right? So when I was uh, at one of my previous jobs, um, my our leader of our division, I was vice president of sales, and, and he was actually an actuary um, for his entire career, had been an actuary. And one of the things that they drill in is credibility, right? And so the idea that that their that their numbers, their projections, their equations are actually based on sound data. And the argument is how many years does it take to secure sound data and in insurance, right? Because you have long-tailed losses, which take a number of years to play out, and then you have ones that are immediate, right? Property losses tend to be immediately payable. Um, but if you're dealing with third-party liability, you can be dealing with a much longer payout period, much higher legal expenses, right? Um, so I, I think that when when insureds come to us, the first thing that we ask is, do you currently have insurance? Um, and one of the frustrating things that we deal with is a lot of times they'll say, yeah, of course. And then they'll pull out a general liability policy that is written on, say, an admitted market. Um, and you're, I'm looking at it going, OK, here's question number two. Send me a list of the exclusions because mm -hmm. I'm going to take a wild guess and uh, go on record as saying this is not going to cover what you think it is. Um, and then yep. they also usually usually uh, show a product liability policy at that point, which then I also have to drop the bad news of uh, this probably isn't going to cover you for what you think it's going to, um, because this is an absolute this is an absolute exclusion. They're not going to play around with it unless they know what's happening. Um, so when it comes to you know prior prior coverage, which we see more often with our West Coast clients, right? Um, we'll just ask them for a loss summary. Hey, can you go to your current carrier or your current agent, ask them for a loss run? Let us know what your losses have looked like. If you're clean in, the, in your history, we can pick up your prior acts coverage likely, meaning that you don't have to, you don't have to worry, okay, what, what about that uh, vape cartridge I sold two years ago? Is that going to be covered? Well, with prior acts coverage, yes, it would. Um, and you can do that through your new policy, which is also great because people who might have had subpar coverage before can actually go out and strengthen their coverage um, by utilizing other um, carriers prior acts. So what I would say is when you're going out to shop, you know, get a copy of your loss runs from your current agent. Um, that'll make it exceptionally easy for underwriting to do their job. Um, and then, of course, a lot of the questions are just going to pertain to the property itself, the, the nature of your business. Um, but the, the keys are making sure that you don't end up with a gap. So making sure that you know your retro date and then making sure that you understand the products exclusion, the health hazard exclusion. So a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of ways to answer that question. I think it's just because mm -hmm. there's so much. Uh, the, you know, this is constantly moving target. Um, but I was what I was going to say, and one of the things that does concern me is that, you know, if, if you see that general liability and product liability, uh, one of the questions that I then follow up, is, OK, what are you doing with the inventory? Do you have a storefront? Um, how are you insuring your you know, extraction equipment, et cetera? And unfortunately, 
uh, this has happened now more than I can count. People say, well, what's what exactly is property or crime or cyber or anything? It's like, oh, OK, so you haven't actually had a true insurance conversation. You've been sold a piece of paper to, um, you know, to make sure that you uh, qualify or meet the requirements of, you know, name the state um, licensing board. But you really haven't gone past that. And, oh, you're sitting with a million two worth of extraction equipment in a barn that's uninsured or insurance for your homeowners. Like, I'm sorry, that's just not gonna fly. And obviously for licensing purposes, it has to be more robust than that. But I'm just saying, if somebody gets, you know, million dollars worth of extraction equipment dropped off, they may not understand, okay, to transport that, I need an inland marine policy. Um, and then to store it here, we need to make sure that we're having conversations until it gets to its final destination. So um, I, I guess the, the way I'm answering this is that, luckily most people are aware they need insurance. Um, unfortunately, people are, are not aware of what type of insurance they need. Well, that's a good way to um, come to the end of this segment because we do want to save some time to talk about music. So Michael, share with us, if you will, your musical experiences. I think we talked a little before the show, the Grateful Dead with Jerry Garcia were a little before your time. It's been 25 years now since Jerry's passed away. Wow. It's unbelievable, uh, it was just the other day. Yep. Yeah. August 1st, was birthday bash. That's right. So share with us, if you would, some of your musical experiences. Yeah, um, appreciate that. So I have been heavily involved in music for most of my life. Uh, thankfully, my parents uh, grew up playing music in the house. My dad is a phenomenal uh, guitarist and vocalist. So I, I grew up listening to him around the campfire. Um, and it's just been, you know, it was really ingrained as part of our, as community, as friends, as everything else. So I can remember going to music parties. Uh, those are some of my oldest memories and that's something that's been really neat um, and something i'm truly appreciative you know of my parents was for exposing me to to the power of sound you know that's essentially all that it is it's just you know words constructed in a way that people seem to hear them a little bit different or or a sound that makes you feel a certain way um and so you know i, I obviously I listened to my parents the best I could at the at young age, but then I was lucky enough to, uh, to have my first dead experience in 2004 uh, when when the dead came through with Warren Haynes through the Midwest. Um, and that was my first eye-opening experience to the Grateful Dead and what is this music and who are these people and why are there so many of them and they all seem to be on the same page and I am not on that page. You know, it was really an eye-opening first-time experience. And, who took you to the show? My dad. Wow. Okay. That's Very nice. Saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our family goes, you know, rolls deep. And so uh, shortly after that, you know, I think uh, I just, I have to laugh because I can remember, you know, High Times is one of the songs that, uh, that you know, it's just like, I don't know. It was interesting watching my dad's reaction to seeing his favorite band live. Um, it was a very mm -hmm. powerful moment. And, um, I just, I really appreciated it. It, it was, it was neat. Uh, that's kind of now, the cool your dad, put it. <laughs> your dad had gone to dead shows? Yeah, yeah. So he grew up on the dead in Zappa. Um, and so I got, I, I know I'm not supposed to mention anybody else in this, but I'm no, going to assume okay. Zappa, Frank Zappa. Zappa, right? Zappa. That was right. just a joke. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, we love Zappa. Heck yeah, man. Well, this makes me feel even more at home. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, he grew up listening to that, and then they started sharing those experiences with us right away. Um, they still played folk music um, here in town, actually, so they'd have these music parties, and that was more exposure to the Grateful Dead. Then finally, uh, they had a drummer position open up in the in the, in a Midwest touring cover band, um, 
and they needed a drummer. And so at 16, uh, well, I guess when I was 16, my dad volunteered me for the role and said it'd be a great life experience. <laughs> so, so I took wow. it and uh, I, I kind of played around Indiana and the Midwest uh, in a Grateful Dead cover band. So that wow. was my experience. I did that for about uh, well, all the way through college. So from about the time I was 15 or 16 to 22. So I've been incredibly lucky to play with phenomenal musicians um, and and really uh, learn music that most people only listen to. Well, thank you very much. That's a, been a great interview and a lot of surprises there at the end. I have to say, I find the uh, musical conversation more interesting than insurance. I think that we're all in agreement on that one. Unfortunately, music never pays the bills. No, <laughs> sure, I, I understand. I understand. Here, Michael, here's my question for you about that. Um, prior to joining this cover band, and, and I saw some uh, photos you sent over, so you, you guys were true to the dead. You had two drummers. We did. We did. Yeah, and it was the best. Had part. you ever played with? Had you ever played with another drummer before in a band? So this is the funny part: is that. Uh, Lynn, who you saw in that picture that I sent over, that was a Halloween gig, by the way. So if you're wondering what the heck is he wearing and what am I wearing, um, uh, I was decked out. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he's a skeleton. That answers that question. Okay. Yeah, yeah, which probably makes more sen sense. Um, but only in band. I mean, like you think about playing with other drummers, you know, is in band class. That was really the only other time. Uh, but Lynn and I went through band together. So then we ended up both sitting on the kids, 16 year old kids running around the Midwest with the Grateful Dead uh, cover band. It was uh, it was quite an experience. And Lynn's still one of my best friends to this day. He lives about a mile and a half away from me. And, and he's the he's the true musician out of all of us. I ended up on the insurance side. Mm -hmm. Do you, you still, still have a kit? In the, do you still have a kit in the basement? I actually now I've I've got an electric set uh, set up here, and then I've got uh, my other drum set set up uh, where I can easily grab it and go play gigs if I want to. But with COVID, I mean, I haven't played a gig in probably yeah. months. It's been it's been like our live music lately, which is just kind of non-existent. I think everyone's stoked to get back to it and and meet the people and and just get back to, you know, it's not that we're not living these days, I guess, learning to live in the new normal, you know, so there was a big old Jerry birthday bash probably about a week and a half ago that it's the first time I saw dead music in a long time and it felt good. Oh, good. Always well, very nice. good. And thank you. And we'll give you a chance now to uh, one more time, give us your company's proper name and website and how people can get a hold of you. Yeah. Awesome. So the name of the company is full spectrum insurance. Um, and just like the name suggests, we are full spectrum. Um, it's, you know, what we can insure is all dependent on state law. So if you're in a cannabis friendly state, we'd love to write your insurance. If you're just dealing with hemp and CBD, we'd love to write your insurance. So uh, you can access our website by going to www.fsc, that's Frank Sam Charlie, I-N-S, like insurance.com. So fscins.com and of course if you want to hit me up you can uh, send me an email uh, my email address is mpeters so that's m as in michael peters as in p-e-t-e-r-s at fscins.com um, or as always facebook so or not facebook or linkedin at this point so any questions we are more than accessible um and seriously, send me an email. I'll get back to everyone with any, you know, if you want to ask me questions about my music past or if you want to find out, you know, how we can beef up that insurance. Let's let's get it done and, and keep the community tight. You know, it's I think that, um, you know, Jim, you'd mentioned earlier that a lot of the big 
publicly traded companies aren't in this space. And, uh, you know, for that same reason, we've found success in the niche insurance market. And we do think that it's it's a much more community feel than when you get into a Fortune 500 company trying to deal with this stuff. Well, very good. <clears throat> Thank you for your time. Great interview. Um, Absolutely. Larry, we have a few minutes. Um, I did get my Dave's Picks 45. And 35. 35, excuse me. Um, loved it. Love it to death. Um, <clears throat> the weather report suite at the end of the first set is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, what always impresses me about these um, re releases is the quality. Yep. How they can take these 30, 40-year-old tapes and, and just clean them up so they're so pristine. Well, what I love about it, Jim, is it's a 1984 show. And among all of the Dick's picks, the 36 of them, and now the 35 Dave's picks, there's a very, very small handful, probably less than five, that are from the 1980s. And of course, that I started seeing them in 1982, so th that was my prime time. Uh, this show also marks the first release of any Dick's or Dave's picks that I was actually at. So uh, I was very excited about that. We were seniors at, at the University of Michigan that spring. And, you know, being seniors and being, you know, trying to find things to do. We saw about seven or eight shows on that tour. We went out to Hampton and saw shows out there. I drove to Niagara Falls and saw some shows there. We saw shows at um, uh, 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 Philadelphia and probably in New Jersey as well. But these, these uh, Philadelphia shows were great because unlike the shows that they typically had at the Spectrum, which was a great place to see them, the Civic Center was smaller and it was it was much more compact and, uh, you know, kind of an older building that had a really nice vibe and feel to it. And uh, it, was, it was really a lot of fun. It was it, it was just on the edge of campus for the University of Pennsylvania. And so as a result, we were staying with a friend of ours who was a student there and we could just walk to and from the shows. Right. They were all great shows. And this was a great one for them to release. Very excited about it. Well, very good comments. <laughs> I agree with what you're saying, because most of the shows I saw. We're in the 80s as well, um, and really like you know hearing those songs come into um, the, the set list that are more used to in the 80s songs that were released on In the Dark and uh, you know Shakedown Street was released in the 70s, but a lot of the songs came into vogue in the 80s. That is one of my um, comments about the beautiful 1976 and 1970 box sets that that we just got recently is as great as they are, you do tend to hear the same songs night after night. Not in the same order or anything. They, they mix it up. <clears throat> but it is great to hear some of those um, 1980 songs coming in. Um, you know, of course, I think Let It Grow it goes all the way back to Wake of the Flood. But I'm trying to think of some of the... Well, the, well Brother Esau is on that. Yeah, there uh, you go. There you go. That's you know, that was brand now, new at that time. And not, not exactly one of my favorites, but a good example no. of a song yeah. that was on an 80s CD or record. Yep. So, um, yeah, very Absolutely. much enjoyed that. So um, at the end of the show here, um, unless you have any more musical comments, Larry, I, I'd like to talk um, a little bit of politics because sure. I had the chance recently to interview um, our two Senate candidates, Democrat John Hickenlooper, and Republican Cory Gardner, sure, through political action groups that I'm involved with, and um, it's very interesting. At um, 
And my point that I want to make politically for our listeners is I would encourage you and encourage you to tell all your friends this fall when you vote and please vote. Um, I have crossed party lines many times, so I am not uh, 100% with one party or the other. But the point I want to make is when it comes to cannabis, please vote policy over party. I couldn't agree with you more on that. And when I go around the country doing presentations, you know, we get to everybody wants to know what the status of the law is. I say to everyone, look, let's talk honest for a minute here. You know, when we talk politics, it can't be red and blue. It can only be green. Yeah. And if, you know, if you want the industry to succeed, then there's no room for trying to hide in one party or the other. And as you and I have pointed out, Jim, the the large number of uh, uh, congressional acts that have passed uh, by uh, bilateral support, uh, you know, uh, bipartisan support, I should say, uh, the Safe Banking Act, which is sitting there waiting to be ruled, uh, voted upon by the Senate, was a product of uh, Cory Gardner and Elizabeth Warner. And uh, I'm I'm very happy and proud about that, that one of the things that cannabis seems to do is pull people together. It, it seems to be a very common issue for folks, and it's something that you and I have often joked about. If you're sitting there with somebody from the other party and the conversation is getting to a point where you feel uncomfortable, just pull out a joint. Yeah. And it's amazing how quickly everybody backs up. Hey, where'd you get that? Ooh, what strain is that? Wow, let's give that a try. And everything else, you know, you, you just kind of forget what you were talking about for a minute. Yeah. Um, and, and I and I echo that sentiment that, you know, if you're serious about this industry, you have to look and see what a candidate's position is on marijuana. Right. Well, the Hickenlooper-Gardner race in Colorado is extremely heated. Big money from both parties coming in. Um, many people feel that the control of the Senate, whether Democrat or Republican, hangs on this race. But to share, continue to share my experiences, yes, you're right. Cory Gardner has been extremely pro-cannabis, uh, pushing back against Jeff Sessions when he wanted to undo the coal memos, uh, yep. the Safe Banking Act, the States Act to le basically legalize marijuana at the state level with the feds recognizing the state's rights to do that. And then on the other hand, and, you know, people think, well, you know, Democrats are liberal. They're for legal marijuana. The other uh, party, Hickenlooper, John Hickenlooper, our former governor, just said, well, he was running for president that he would, if it's up to him, he'd make marijuana illegal again. Right. When he was governor, he vetoed every cannabis bill that crossed his desk. And I he, remember that. In my, when I interviewed them, he apologized to our political action group, our cannabis political action group. So, um, like I said, vote. Policy over party, please, this fall. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And, um, you know, look, as, as we've said, uh, uh, cannabis does make strange bedfellows. My favorite one that we should spend a little more time talking about one day is the day that Ann Coulter went to a Grateful Dead concert. Mm -hmm. And once that happened, I thought, you know what? Anything's possible. This is just great. Uh, and you have to look and, you know, really see what a person's all about. And, and I got a real kick out of that. Michael, did you want to add anything on this topic? Oh, there's so much to add. Uh, the the point that just came came to mind for me was, you know, Pew Research Center has, has put out studies that show that the majority of Democrat and Republic constituents are in favor of legalization. You know, it's the sentiment's yep. been trending that direction. I, I guess, you know, there is for me personally, you know, knowing that now Biden has picked his running mate and Trump has set his position, Pence has come out against legalization efforts. You know, how much how aggressive should Dems get on this issue versus sitting back and letting uh, letting the Republican Party control it? It's just I don't really know. And maybe you guys do. Well, well I, go ahead, Larry. I, OK, I was going to say, I don't know if I have an answer to that. 
specifically as much as I think that, uh, you know, to try and echo Jim's point a little bit, if we, if we can work together to elect pro cannabis candidates, then, you know, the hope is it doesn't really matter whether it comes from the right or the left, because if they're pro cannabis, they're pro cannabis. I well, think I just wonder when public sentiment is actually going to drive decision making in Washington. It, it, it already has. You know, I spend some, my fair share of time in Washington lobbying Congress with the National Cannabis Industry Association. And I remember that a very prominent Republican said to me about the cannabis issue, he goes, we're five years behind the public. And we are institutionally designed to be that way. We, yes. are, we are slow, we're behind, and that's the way that we're set to function. But I did um, get to have a one-on-one -on -one with uh, Senator Gardner just last night, actually. And I said, Corey, nobody cares about marijuana anymore. We've got COVID. We've got social unrest. We've got riots. Nobody cares about cannabis. And I really think this, the social justice platform that's coming out of this social unrest is going to make marijuana irrelevant. And people are you know, already part of the cannabis bills. They're including things for decriminalization. Um, some of the states are considering other more drastic descheduling de of drugs. There's, there's talk about totally revamping the federal drug program. So yep. it's, it's moving, it's picking up speed as we go yep. along. And I think um, the, the disconcerting part, at least for me, is that even if Washington's five years behind, you're going to end up with five more years of systemic issues as it relates to the impoverished classes that are still disproportionately affected by this, by these laws. That's just, it's a personal thought of mine, but five years is still five years of lives that, that hopefully we could, uh, hopefully we can uh, help out a little bit quicker than that. Well, if it makes you feel better, Michael, I had that conversation about five years ago. <laughs> well, you've, done, you've done all the legwork for us. I know that I'm coming in here at, at the right time with this one. So thank you guys for your, your, all right. Listen, we're at the end of our time slot, so um, everybody, this is Jim Marty saying over and out from Longmont, Colorado. Larry, sign us off, please. Will do, Jim. Uh, everyone, thanks for listening today. Thank you to our guest, Michael Peters of Full Spectrum Insurance. Uh, pleasure to have you on our show and to hear uh, the insurance perspective. Uh, very, very important, obviously, for this industry. And listeners are encouraged to reach out to Michael with any insurance questions they might have. Um, I will uh, check with our producer, Dan, but I'm sure that we will have some of your information posted on our website as well for this episode so that our listeners can find you uh, if they are looking for you. So thank you again to Michael. Uh, thank you to Jim. Uh, thank you. A uh, special shout out to Jamie Humiston, who stepped in and helped out his father today to produce the show. Thank you for doing that. Everyone have a safe week and uh, listen to the Grateful Dead and Fish a lot. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you over and out. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. 
And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canada podcasters right here on PodConnex and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.